Welcome to the Ginghamsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a second to download the Ginghamsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Ginghamsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step in your journey with Jesus. Hey, good morning, everyone. Very warm welcome to you on this cold December day. Welcome to the second Sunday of the season of Advent. And as we begin this morning, let me ask you a question. Do you have any Christmas desires this year? Have any Christmas wishes? It is my prayer, it is my desire that I may have more joy this Christmas. But I heard about this little boy, a little tough street kid who wanted a bike for Christmas. And so he went to his mom and said, I really want a bike for Christmas. She said, you're not going to get a bike for Christmas. You've not been a good boy. He said, oh, yes, I will get one because Santa will bring me one. She said, oh, no, that he won't. The only way that you're going to get a bike for Christmas is if you ask Jesus for a bike for Christmas. If you get down on your knees and repent and ask Jesus to forgive you, maybe you'll get a bike for Christmas. So he thought about that. He really wanted that bike. And so he went up to his room. He decided to write Jesus a note. And so he wrote this note, Jesus, I've been a good boy all year. Would you get me a bike for Christmas? And then he thought about it. He said, well, that's not true. And Jesus knows. So he crumbled it up. He thought about it. You know, I really want that bike. What am I going to do? I'm getting desperate. So then he wrote this, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Please get me a bike for Christmas. <laughs> Sounds like you've prayed one of those prayers before. <laughs> He said, nah, I don't want to say that, crumbled the paper up. He was so upset, he didn't know what to do. He just ran down the stairs, ran down outside. He went down the street, and on the corner of his street, there was the neighborhood church, and it had a nativity scene. So he got an idea. He looked to the right. He looked to the left. Nobody was around. He went into the big nativity scene, and he took Mary out of the nativity scene, put her under his arm, he went back home, he ran up the stairs, he went into his room, he locked the door, and then he sat down at his desk and he wrote this letter to Jesus. Jesus, I got your mama. And if you ever want to see her again, get me a bike for Christmas. <laughs> I love that story. Hey, it's good to see you laugh this morning. It's good to see you smile. Some people come into church, and for those who are old enough, they're singing that old hee-haw song, gloom, despair, and agony on me. But I'm grateful that laughter reigns in this place today, amen? And it's more than just a worldly happiness or delight, but it's a joy that runs deep. It's a joy from the Lord Jesus Christ. But I, I think that some churches drain the delight right out of people. In fact, one woman wrote this, my dad was a minister, and when we were growing up, we could never have fun. We could never let people see us joking and laughing and singing at the top of our lungs and having a good times. Now listen to this, and I have harbored resentment towards the church ever since. Attitudes like this are probably what prompted Billy Joel to write, I'd rather Laugh with the sinners, then cry with the saints, for sinners are so much more fun. And I want to know, who started that ugly rumor that when you become a Jesus follower, when you 
take part in this Jesus movement, then all fun of life and delight has to cease. In fact, the Bible says the opposite. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 4, we read this. There's a time to weep, and there's a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn, and there's a time to dance. In fact, if you look all throughout the Bible, you see parties and festivals and feasts and people celebrating great joy. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says that when you become a follower of Christ, the Apostle Paul says that you will get evidence in your life. There'll be fruits of the Holy Spirit. That when the Spirit comes, it's much more than what you say, but there are certain ways in which one can see the Holy Spirit, and these fruits are many. And the first one listed is love, and the second is joy. In fact, in the Bible, the word joy is found throughout the pages from Genesis Revelation, 108 times in the Old Testament, and 156 times in the New Testament. Now, let's look at the Christmas story and see a time when the shepherds were ambushed by joy. This is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. If you have your Bibles, if you're at home and you have a Bible app, if you'll just pull that up or follow along with the sound of my voice or reading on the screen today. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy. Let me repeat that. Good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. That word joy, that the gospel writer Luke presents of great joy was written in Greek, and the Greek word literally means in English, it's where we get our word surprise. C.S. Lewis, that well-known British writer of the last century, married later in life. His wife's name was Joy, and he wrote a book that became very well known, entitled, Surprised by Joy. And in a sense, it was a play on words because what he was saying is, surprised by surprise. I love that. Can you imagine the surprise of the shepherds when the angels appeared to them with good news of great joy? I mean, that didn't happen. Angels in the past had appeared to prophets, they had appeared to priests, but never to lowly shepherds. And these were the night shift shepherds. They weren't even on first shift. And yet God appeared to them. Can you imagine the astonishment they must have felt? To me, yes, to me. For me, yes, for me. And the same is true wherever you are in life today. God comes to you with news of great joy for all the people, and that all means you today. And so for the remainder of this message, what I want to do in line with our current series, Christmas Playlist, 
I want to highlight a carol, and today, of course, it's Joy to the World. I want to tell you just a little bit about the history of that and about Isaac Watts, the hymn writer. And then I want to point out a few parts of the hymn, the carol, that are favorites to me and show you the scripture behind those verses, okay? So when Isaac Watts was 18 years old, he didn't like church. He was a teenager. He thought church was boring. Does that ever happen today? Sometimes. So he went to his dad and he said, the music down at the church house is just boring. And the dad said, well, why don't you do something about it? Why don't you write a song and why don't you sing the song Go to the priest and ask for permission, and that's what he did. And he said, sure, we'd love for you to share a song. And so he worked on it, and he presented this new song that he sang. It's around early 1700s. The people loved it, and they said, would you come back next week? Could you do this again and sing another song? He said, well, sure. And so he put together another song, and he went back to church, and He sang it and the people loved it. And they continued to ask him. And for 222 consecutive weeks, he brought a new song. That's four years. The word spread about these songs and these songs went out across the land and this revolutionized hymn singing in the English-speaking world. What may surprise you is that Joy the World, when it was written, was not accepted by the official church leadership. It was written in 1719. And why it wasn't is because during that time in church history, in the Church of England, the church would sing the literal words of the Psalms, word for word. What Watts did, and then others to follow, they took the words of the Psalms and other scriptures, but they also put into the song New Testament theology. As I said before, Joy the World was loosely based on Psalm 98, but it had a gospel message. The reason that Joy to the World was not accepted by the official church So this whole issue of contemporary worship versus traditional, it's been around for a long time, folks. This isn't new. But the reason it wasn't is because it encouraged unfettered joy. And in the British age during that time in the church, to express joy openly was unheard of. In fact, they called it, and it was a bad word during that time, enthusiasm. One was not to share this kind of outward emotion. You are to be prim and proper and solemn during times of worship. Have you ever heard the little phrase that the British use even today, the stiff upper lip, right? What does that mean? If there's ever a quivering of the lip in public, that is unacceptable. Even at funerals, one should mourn and show emotion in private, but in public, you are to be proper, you are to be put together. But here, Isaac Watts was saying, oh no, even nature is celebrating and giving joy to the world. 
Now, I want to highlight just a few little phrases, enjoyed the world, that mean something to me and maybe to you. And the first is this one. Let heaven and nature sing. Do you like that part of the song that Emily and the team led? Let heaven and nature sing. Now, as I said, this was loosely based on Psalm 98. Let me just read verses 4 to 9 from the NIV. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp and with the harp and the sound of singing. With trumpets and the blast of a ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Now, here comes the nature part. Are you ready? Let the sea resound. Let everything in it, the world and all who live in it, let the rivers clap their hands and let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. All creation is singing, the king is here. Now check out what Luke says next about the shepherds after experiencing this news with great joy. It says, when the angels had left, this is verse 15, them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word. Underline that part. They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to him. They spread the word. Has Christmas joy made such a difference that you can't contain it, that you just have to share it? You have to declare it to the world. I want to encourage you to share this message of hope. People are looking for hope. People are looking to be loved. People are looking for peace. And you have that message. You have that message of joy. One way you can share it is by inviting someone to come and to sit with you on a Sunday morning where they'll hear the gospel or Christmas Eve. We'll have 2,000, 3,000 people experience Christmas at Ginsburg in just three weeks from now. Invite people to come out. I promise you they will be presented the gospel. But in your simple conversations, share the reason for your hope. Share the reason for your seed. Don't be afraid to say Merry Christmas. Because it's the Christ in Christmas that makes the difference. Amen? Now, I'm not against happy holidays and seasons, greetings, and all other fluff like that. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean... I shared with you last week that I even once in a while enjoy listening to the chipmunk song. Alvin and chipmunk singing about hula hoops. Yeah. You like that one? I mean, I can put up with that about three times a year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not against all that stuff. That's good stuff. But don't be afraid to share your faith in a loving way. Not to beat other people down, but to lift Jesus up. I'm aware of a pastor in Georgia, and he was really struggling with sharing. And he was meeting with a group of friends that he developed over a period of time who were Jewish rabbis. And they were talking about this one day. And one of the Jewish rabbis said to this Christian pastor, listen, you Christians are so funny how you agonize over 
sharing your faith. He says, we as Jewish believers, we have, we have no problem sharing what we believe and we will share to the world. Happy Hanukkah during this time. He, he says, don't be afraid to share what you believe. It's who you are. And then this Jewish rabbi says this. I love this. He says, if you won't say it, I'll say it to you as a Jewish rabbi, Merry Christmas. <laughs> My friends, it's the Christ of Christmas that brings the joy. Romans tells us, do not be conformed to this world, to the value systems of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So many of us have been developed and shaped by the values, the humanistic values of this world. And we leave our lives letting the world dictate how we're going to live. Allow us to let the Lord, by the power of the Spirit, lead us, always in a loving way. <laughs> and so let us join with the angels. Let us join with the shepherds. Let us join with nature. And if we're quiet, the rocks will even cry out. Let us join and declare joy to the world. <laughs> the king is on the scene. Hope is here. Let heaven and nature sing. Praise be to God. Again, I can tell this is not a Pentecostal gathering. They'd be excited about that. I know you are too. Here's another one. Let's see how excited you're going to get to this one. Let every heart prepare him room. Do you like that part of the song? I like that part of the song. Let every heart prepare him room. Surprise world. The king is on the scene, but you better make room for him. I love how Watts puts it in the present tense. He says, the Lord is come, not the Lord has come. The Lord will come. That's all true. But it's in the present tense because God meets us today in the present tense. He's here, but you better make room for him. I shared in the first service a story of something happened to me a few years ago that God taught me a big lesson. I'd become a district superintendent in Southeast Ohio, which is a supervisor to pastors working directly under the bishop, our bishop, Bishop Palmer, who was here a couple of weeks ago. And I was assigned to my home area where I grew up, Southeast Ohio, down in the Appalachian Hills, and 170 churches. Some of you have heard me talk about this from time to time. And uh, medium-sized churches, very small churches, rural churches. And, and I just left Grove City, and you know, we were really having an incredible time there and moving to the spirit and our Christmas there would be very big like it is here. And, you know, and I was coming off of that. And, and I said, when I arrived at the district that I would go anywhere, no matter the size, I'll go whenever, if you need a preacher, I'll come. And so right before Christmas, it was in December that year, as I became district superintendent, a little country church in Meigs County, all the way down on the Ohio river, you could see West Virginia right across from where the church was, just out in a cornfield. We had a little church down there, and they asked the district superintendent to come down and give the Christmas message. And I said yes several months before, but when the day came, I was in Columbus on that Saturday night, and it was 109 miles down there, and I knew I was going down to eight people. And I started driving down there, and it was cold like today. And it was snowing, I remember that. The roads were not covered, but it was not one of those good days to be traveling. 
And I started mumbling. Do preachers mumble? Are we allowed to mumble sometimes? And I was just complaining. This is confession today. And uh, I started thinking, Lord, what are you doing here with my life? Last year, I was preaching at Christmas to 1,800 people. And I'm coming down here into the boondocks. This is my home area, so I can call it that because that's what we called it. And you're bringing me down to a Sunday school group of eight people. And I'm just having a pity party for Dennis. And I get down to the church finally, and there are two cars there. Lord have mercy, I'm thinking. Why didn't they combine with the other three churches that have 20 people? And as I looked up, there was a little dog. It was on the front porch of this one-room church, and it was just looking at the door, a little dog, like that dog there, just sitting there. And I thought, now, it's a cold day, like today. Who would bring their dog and then have them sit outside the church? And right when I'm getting out of the car, another person. So now there are four cars in the parking lot, and they pull up, and they knew that I was a visitor and found out I was a district superintendent, and they greeted me, and we walked in together, and when she opened the door, the dog walked right into the church. <laughs> and then we walked in, we started talking and they acted like it wasn't a big deal. And so we were talking there and I said, did you see the dog just came in the church? And they said, oh yeah, that's fine. I said, well, whose dog is it? It was waiting outside. Oh, none of our dogs. I said, well, whose dog is it? Well, we're not really sure. We think it's one of the neighbor dogs, but just about any time that someone's here at church, the dog comes down. <laughs> And we've kind of adopted the dog. Isn't that cool? You can't make this stuff up. And then one, and then one, now we have about eight people there. So we have a big crowd. And, and one person leans over to me. Now, why they're whispering, I don't know. It's not like anyone on the conference level can hear them. The guy says, do you think that Bishop Palmer's going to care that we allow the dog to come into the church? And God, in that moment, gave me just the right words to say. I said, well, Bishop Palmer cares. He can drive 109 miles down from Columbus today to tell us. <laughs> they like that, by the way. <laughs> and so we started the little service, sang a couple carols, and the dog went under the first pew right there and fell asleep. And so I'm preaching a hundred miles away from the city, from the hustle and bustle. And I'm preaching news of great joy to all the people, to eight individuals and a little dog, that Jesus is born. I want to say to you, my friends, that this Christmas, joy sits outside of your door. Amen? Joy stands outside of your door waiting to come in. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and we will have great joy. We will have a party. We will eat together. We will fellowship together. And I wonder how many people this Christmas are waiting outside the doors of Gingsburg Church for us to open the doors and allow them to come and experience 
news of great joy for all the people. May it be so. May it be so in Jesus' name. If you're looking for joy, let me say to you and to the world, to those who are worshiping online and to those who will hear this later all across the nation, you'll never find it, friends, under the Christmas tree this year. But you will find it under another tree, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where joy is found. Close with this. When I was a little boy in third grade, at the little Methodist church that I grew up in Zanesville, every year about this time, the choir director would pull us up on the stage and we would sing. And I can remember singing a song like this. If you want joy, real joy, wondrous joy, let Jesus come into your heart. Your sins he'll wash away and your night he'll turn to day. If you want joy, real joy, wondrous joy, let Jesus come into your heart. You can do that today. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for this day, this typical December day, for the gift of Jesus, for the gift of salvation, for forgiveness that's so very real. And I want to thank you, Lord, for this thing called joy that runs real deep around this place. And God, I'm grateful for this kind of a church because people know how to laugh here, laugh at themselves, laugh at life, enjoy life, and they do it in appropriate ways. And I thank you that laughter reigns in this place often. And God, I'm thankful that it's the joy of Jesus that radiates through many people in this church. And I thank you that the gift of joy is a gift that you give to each of us even when life falls apart. That our joy is not determined by what's going on outside or around us, but it's determined by what's happening in us right now. And finally, Lord, I pray that there'll be someone here today who's ready to unwrap the gift of Jesus and ask Jesus to be their savior and their forgiver and their friends, to experience healing, to experience sins forgiven and made clean and whole. Even in communion, Lord, I pray that as we share in this beautiful sacrament, Lord, that you'll come in a very personal way and assure us of your love. May that be so, that joy may be found. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you, and you'd like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Ginghamsburg app or online at ginghamsburg.org.